This is the Key Life Podcast, where we talk everything automotive keys. We are produced and sponsored by AKG Academy. For more information, go to akgacademy.com. We're back with J.B. Gates, Director of Technical Services at AKG. Uh, and uh, we are going to continue our manufacturer's journey together. Uh, we've had some really engaging conversations on our, our first two manufacturers in GM and Ford. So I think it's fitting that we move on to it's Stellantis now, right? It's a Chrysler Dodge Jeep. You know, there's a, there's a lot going on there. So I don't need to waste any time. We can we can jump right in there, JP. What's, what's going on in, in the world of Stellantis? Man, there's a lot of things that are happening. You know, with this purchase of the FCA Corporation by Stellantis, you know, they're a huge manufacturer of automobiles all over the world. You know, originally I thought that we would see a real positive effect in this purchase, but I haven't seen it quite yet. So one of the things that I noticed being an automotive locksmith and and doing more than just traditional locksmithing, you know, module programming and, and diagnostic uh, when it comes to no start, immobilizer issues, things like this. I've noticed that uh, the availability of Chrysler Dodge Jeep parts has really diminished much worse than ever before. And um, I don't know the truth of it, but some of the guys in the industry ha have posed that Atlantis has gone to the manufacturers of all the parts and has tried to sort of what they call streamline, which I'll call strong arm, and uh, drive the prices of the parts down, at least their cost. And in doing that, they've ceased buying parts from the manufacturers until the manufacturers acquiesce to their pricing. Now, of course, if this is all true, this is secondhand, but it makes good sense to me. And so we're seeing a lot of those parts not being available. So the need to reuse used parts with module programming stuff has actually become more important than it was before. Uh, you know, aside from that, we have seen some new systems come out. And the Grand Wagoneer and a couple of others, they are on a new protocol, which is not unlike the communication protocol of the Ford and the GM, like we talked about, CAN-FD, a flexible data protocol. And so when we see these protocols come up, we are seeing the same thing with Chrysler Dodge Jeep that we see with others is only the factory software is programming these vehicles that are equipped with, with CAN-FD. So on these new vehicles, you are needing pass-through that's of sufficient quality to uh, deal with the data. We talked about that in another one of our segments where the AEZ Flasher 3 works along with the Drew Tech device. You could also have a Chrysler Dodge Jeep pass-through. In the, in the past, they've called these micropods. They had micropod 1 and micropod 2. But for these new vehicles, you actually need what they call a, an MDP pod. It's a different color and a different protocol. So you would still be using YTEC 2, which is their most current version of software to program that vehicle. And for us in the aftermarket, there are a couple of extra hoops to jump through. So, you know, not only do you need to be an ASTAF member, not only do you need to purchase the subscription for YTEC, but you also need a flashing token and you also need authorization for your pod to work. And so there's a couple of different pieces, uh, we'll call them software, that you much must purchase in order to program these new vehicles. And right now, the, the, real, the only real convenient way to purchase those all in one place is from AE Tools and Computers. The, the aftermarket path for using this manufacturer software 
has been diverted through this company, AE Tools, where this is different from Ford or GM. You know, with a Ford or GM, you can go directly to Ford, directly to GM, purchase your subscriptions uh, if you're in the aftermarket like we are. But now on the Chrysler Dodge Cheap softwares, you are directed through AE Tools as sort of, for lack of a better term, master distributor, purchase everything from them. So the nice thing about that is it is all in one place. Uh, they do have some good technical support with regards to, you know, how they flow their, their tickets through their technical support and their uh, willingness to remotely connect to you. So a lot of those things are positive. Some people don't really care for it, that there's only one source to go through. Um, but right now it just sort of is what it is. If you want to program these new vehicles, I, I imagine in, in the future, maybe even the near future, the aftermarket key programmers are going to, you know, learn how to work with these systems, reverse engineer them, so to speak, and be able to deal with them. But currently on these newer CANFD protocol vehicles, you are needing to use the factory software with the factory pass-through or a sufficient quality aftermarket pass-through, and you're going to need your NASDAQ subscription as well. A lot to unpack there. Certainly want to go back to the supply chain topic here in a moment. But before we do, maybe we can talk a little bit about the, the administrative tactical process that you have to go through to you know, once you have your pass-through to actually program one of these vehicles, you know, we can use the Wagoneer as our example. Assuming you have the key, the whole thing, you know, go. So, so yeah, okay. So you would need to have registered with AE Tools and Computers. So you would have an account to be able to purchase. You would <clears throat> log on to their site. And with your account, you would purchase what you need, which is your YTEC subscription, a Tech Authority subscription, a Flash token. And when you get all those, it's going to ask you for your serial numbers of your devices so that they can pair those flash tokens and those access subscriptions with the proper tools. Once you have all that in place, then you can go ahead and you can open the YTech 2 software on your laptop, which is partially installed on your laptop, but mostly web-based. And then you can go in the process of programming the keys to these vehicles. Uh, you have to make sure you have all those. You also need to note that those subscriptions that you buy, unless you're buying an annual subscription, if you buy like a short-term subscription, three days, the subscription starts now, the moment that you buy it. It didn't used to be that way. Uh, That's a recent change. It used to be that you could buy a three-day subscription and sort of keep it in the bank or in your back pocket, however you want to look at it, and then go back and activate it. Uh, that isn't working that way anymore. So as soon as you buy the subscription and they process it, the, the, the clock starts. So be aware of that if you're buying it, uh, as I think you should be responsibly, you know, ahead of the job rather than sitting at the vehicle waiting for these subscriptions to come through. Uh, you do lose some time if you're doing it that way. So uh, once you have all those, then uh, the programming is is pretty self-explanatory through the YTech 2 software. It walks you through the process. You know, once it identifies the vehicle, you're able to see the active modules go into the module that requires key programming for your vehicle. You know, if it's a push to start, which these Wagoneer in our example would be, you're going into the radio frequency hub and you're programming the key to it. From a cost perspective, what, what, what should people be expecting from the software, from the pass-through, et cetera? So the cost currently for the items that you need to purchase, which is the flash token, the YTech subscription and the Tech Authority license. These are all going to be short-term, three-day licenses and a single flash token. You're right at about $122 currently. 
And with that $122, that's three days. So you can do as many as you want. Well, so that would be a three-day subscription for YTech, which is how your uh, interface gets authorized, and three days for Tech Authority. Um, but then that was a single flash token. So what that would mean is you would be able to program that one vehicle. If you wanted to do multiple vehicles, you'd need to purchase another flash token. And those flash tokens are 35 or each if you buy them singly. And actually, there's no quantity discount. There used to be at one point, but there is not anymore. It doesn't look like if you do have an annual YTEC subscription, you still have the flash token that you have to, to purchase? That's true. Th this is something that happens only in the aftermarket. So the, the dealer doesn't deal with these flash tokens. This is part of the reason why some people ha have the aversion to a single source providing you with the access to these things. Because this flash token seems to be something additional that no one uh, outside the aftermarket is is paying for. So, so some people don't understand it, and this is part of the reason why they object. But yes, you do need to buy these flash tokens as well. Thanks, JB. So, so now swinging back to the supply chain challenges that you called out earlier post you know, the 21 Stellantis acquisition, where are you getting your keys? Where, where, where and how are you sourcing the product that you need to affect these jobs? Well, keys aren't really the issue that we're running into. Uh, you know, for me, <clears throat> I purchase, you know, the bulk of everything that I use from Key Innovations directly from us. You know, I, I have an occasion just like every other locksmith to do business with some other distributors just to keep the relationships open. But the bulk of the keys that I use come from Key Innovations. Uh, the problem that I'm seeing in supply chain is for parts, uh, whether you need a wind module or you need an RF hub or you need a PCM or, or any of the modules that I might deal with on a day-to-day -day basis, uh, the keys really aren't the issue. <clears throat> Got it. No, that's, uh, that's good to understand uh, from your perspective. And, and on those other modules, where are you sourcing then? Well, you know, they're, typically I try to work with my local dealer. I like to keep the money in the local economy if at all possible. There are a couple of big Chrysler Dodge Jeep parts warehouses that you can access online, uh, you know, but because of the shortage, the parts aren't really there. Most of the time we are getting the modules that we can reuse from, you know, local salvage yard or perhaps eBay or car-parts.com is a, a site where you can look up parts for vehicles with salvage yards that are connected across a, a nationwide network. So you can look for parts. A lot of those places will ship you parts. So I use those as well. I use that site as well. Thanks, JB. So switching gears from the newer system to kind of the older legacy protocols, anything to share there? What tools are you using? Some things for us to be thinking about. You know, so on the older systems, one of the things that uh, we get calls about all the time are, you know, people, uh, our customers that don't quite understand what vehicles can have the pin code read through the diagnostic connector. So when you're programming keys to these Chrysler Dodge Jeep vehicles, you know, pin code is required. And there are some vehicles that you cannot read the pin code through the diagnostic connector. You know, they're, they're all kind of commonly referred to as the Pacifica system because the Chrysler Pacifica is the most well-known system where you can't read the pin code through the diagnostic connector. Uh, there are some others as well. There are some caravans and town and countries that are like from 2006 and down. Uh, there are some Jeep like Liberty, uh, 2006 and down. There are some Cherokees that you can't read the pin code through the diagnostic connector. And even though they don't all share the same architecture, 
with regards to the Pacifica, they're all kind of lumped together under, you know, what everybody affectionately calls a Pacifica system. So on these vehicles, uh, you can't read the pin code through the diagnostic connector. You have two choices. You can either pull the immobilizer module, the, the skim module out and read it by EEPROM, or you can purchase a pin code. Uh, and the pin codes are available. You purchase them, you know, again, NASTAF requirement, NASTAF membership required, D1 form required, I, you know, takes a little bit more time to do it that way, in my opinion, and there's a higher cost. So I typically don't do it that way. I will read those pin codes by EEPROM. You know, there's uh, some devices out there. IM608 is pretty good with a lot of those. Uh, if you have a Tango and a generic EEPROM reader like a VBDI Prog or Orange 5, you can read the data and present it to Tango. Tango will give you the pin code from the dump of the immobilizer. Uh, there's also a tool out there that, that hasn't been made in quite a few years that was sold and produced by AE Tools. And we've talked about a little bit in this segment uh, called the DMAX. That's a really good one. For a lot of these vehicles, uh, you can't get them new any longer, but if you have a used one, they're still very relevant. So that, that's one thing that we run into with the older vehicles is not understanding the ones that you can and can't read the pin code through the diagnostic connector. And as far as, uh, you know, programming keys to older vehicles, equates back to something that I've said a couple of times before in some of our other sessions. As long as you buy a sufficient quality programmer that's aftermarket, you're going to be able to program these keys. There's not a lot of challenges and these systems have been out a while. They're pretty well known. So most of the manufacturers of aftermarket key programmers program these equally. Okay, no, that's, that's good to understand. Speaking to the pin code dynamic, how often are the aftermarket tools not able to process it kind of internally, if you will, versus you having to pull the, pull the skin module, go by EEPROM to, to get the code? So in those year makes that can't be read, can't have the pin code read through the diagnostic connector, the answer is 100% of the time the tool can't pull it on those vehicles, right? But how often do you run into those? It really depends on your market. Now, in my market, where, where I'm at, I run into these cars all the time. People drive these cars until the wheels fall off and then they weld them back on and drive them some more. So like I see these old cars over and over and over again. So in my market, I see them frequently. I talk to other locksmiths across the country during tech support and networking with others. And I have others say, oh, I haven't seen a, a quote unquote Pacific system in 10 years. So uh, it really vastly depends on the makeup of your market. Okay. And this isn't necessarily, you know, Chrysler Dodge Jeep specific, but in terms of the EEPROM, for those who aren't well-versed in how to do this, what, what do you recommend for education? Where, where do you suggest they... they Kind of get that knowledge base. Sure, of course. Good point. So we actually conduct classes through our training arm, which is called the AKG Academy. And we hold classes on a regular basis. You can find information on the Key Innovations website. There's a link directly to the AKG Academy site, or you can go directly to the AKG Academy site to see what classes are being offered. EEPROM is one that we do teach pretty frequently. We have one that is coming up in Dallas uh, in November of this year, which would be 2023. And we're actually going to do a hands-on class where we're going to put the students in pairs. And then the student and the instructor is going to have the same laptop, the same EEPROM programmer, the same transponder manipulator, and the same modules. And there's going to be a certain amount of lecture. And then the, the pairs are actually going to go through and read the data out of the module use the transponder manipulator to open it up, to understand the bin file, 
to write a transponder into it and then write that data back if necessary. So you made a really good point. There is a lot of sort of mystery with regards to EEPROM key programming. Uh, it's one of those things that anybody can learn. I mean, there are some precautions. You do need to make sure that you're, you know, handling the, the printed circuit boards and the memory devices properly. You're connecting to them properly so that you don't damage the information. But with, with a little bit of education, really anybody can learn to, to do these EEPROM jobs. So yeah, I, I would point them back towards the AKG Academy for those resources. Yeah, that's great. J JB, you know, you, you, uh, you've said something to me in the past, I'll paraphrase, but learn the hard way, do it the easy way, right? And, and you generally will stay out of trouble. So the, this, this seems like a, you know, a good example of that. Um, for sure. This transcends manufacturers, right? The skill set. So um, definitely something good to learn and understand. It seems like it's 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 available from an education perspective from a lot of providers and a lot of educators across the country. So that's uh, true. Wherever people get is, is really about education. Yeah, there there are a lot of other good educators as well that teach these classes. So as long as you are attending a class that is put on, you know, by an instructor who has some real world experience, you, you're going to get the fundamentals of this. Yeah, there are plenty of folks that teach it. So good point. And if you're starting fresh on EEPROM, what, what tools are, are you recommending? I know this isn't an EEPROM, you know, segment, but, you know, what are you recommending? What, what are you starting with? So it's very interesting. I get this question all the time. And what's the package? What's the package? And, and you know, I give the same answer that the package is as long as you learn to use what you purchased, it will work for you. So, uh, you know, it, it sort of depends that the, the main programmers out there that are going to read these memory devices uh, are either going to be the VVDI PROG or the Orange 5. Now, there are some other ones. Uh, there is an AR32, which is a good device. It does have some hardware requirements that some people struggle with, but it doesn't make it a less of a valuable device. And then uh, as far as transponder manipulators, uh, something that you're going to load the bin file, the read of the EEPROM into, and then write your transponder data, you know, there is the Miraclone. There is the Tango, and, and there's a multitude of others. You know, the IM608 has an EEPROM reader built in and the transponder manipulator built in. Uh, so it is, you know, an all-in-one device. It's not always the easiest to understand what it's doing or what it needs you to do, but those features are built in there. Uh, so, so I would say, you know, if you're if you're starting with a budget, considering the cost of the Tango and the subscription model that's recently been introduced, I would say if you're trying to spend the, the least amount of money and get the most convenient equipment, I would say you would use the BBDI Prog and the Tango. If you wanted a, a little bit more capable EEPROM programmer that's a little bit more tried and true, been in, in the market for a lot longer, I would substitute in an Orange 5 and the Tango would still be a good choice or the Miraclone as well. I, I, I like the Miraclone. I use it quite a lot, quite often. And within, within the EEPROM world, if you think about those who know how to do EEPROM proficiently, out of 100 cars, how, how many cars are requiring EEPROM on average? I think it would, again, depend on market. But, uh, you know, for me, I see them all the time because we have the opportunity to, you know, read the pin code on these Chrysler Dodge Jeep vehicles like we talked about. Uh, we have the opportunity to do the quote unquote reflash on the older Toyota and Lexus systems where you can't program keys to the diagnostic connector. And once you kind of get proficient with these skills, you'll find that you can apply quote unquote EEPROM to a lot of things. 
you can take and clone a radio in a lot of GM vehicles by disassembling it, finding the eight-leg memory device in there, reading it from the original, and writing it to the donor radio, or the same thing in certain body control modules. So you, you can take the, the knowledge that you gain when you are learning how to uh, program keys by EEPROM, and then take that and use it in other places in the automotive industry as well. Thanks, JB. It sounds like it's a huge investment into yourself, really. Not not a huge capital expense, but an investment in yourself and a huge revenue opportunity for those those in the aftermarket that aren't currently uh, proficient in EEPROM. So that's super helpful there. Thanks. I know a little bit of a tangent. Uh, you know, kind of focusing back on on our our main focus here. Let's let's talk about some challenges in in the programming, right? We, we all have those horror stories uh, that, that we've heard along the way. So let's hear let's hear yours. What pops uh, to front of mind? Okay, yeah. So for me, my my biggest challenge on Chrysler Dodge Jeep is where a customer or a shop will change parts ECUs, whether it's the ECM or whether it's the skim module. And they don't tell you and they just portray it as, oh, I have a vehicle that needs keys programmed to it. And it's never that simple on these older vehicles, at least in my market. So for me, I'm in the habit of scanning the vehicles and looking at the different modules. A British has a really good tool that helps with this. They have a, <clears throat> excuse me, they have a VIN scanner. And what it does is it will go through and pull all the modules in a vehicle with a VIN and display all the VINs to you. And so if a customer has changed a module in a, in a vehicle, it's going to have a different VIN than what the VIN of the vehicle is. So that's very helpful. Uh, yeah, my, my horror stories typically always come from vehicles that have had parts changed and then that change has been concealed and you don't know about it. And, and I call it, you know, stepping on a landmine. You get there and you expect to be there 15 to 20 minutes to, to do whatever job you have. And then two hours later, you're still trudging through, you know, whatever mess you were presented with. So, so is that part of your standard operating procedure? Every uh, old model year, you're running a VIN scanner on it? Well, not always. You know, I, I try to judge the situation based upon a lot of things, you know, information the customer was willing or not willing to give me, you know, the condition of the vehicle, where it's at, you know, where, where it's sitting, what it looks like, uh, you know, in different trades, they call it situational awareness. Uh, I'll give you a quick example. The, uh, the other day I had a customer come in. <clears throat> they said they needed a key a cut and program to their Toyota vehicle. And we cut their key and I plopped down and hooked up my programmer to program. And I noticed on the passenger seat were two brand new aftermarket remote start remotes in a bag. <clears throat> and so I thought to myself, okay, that's strange. Why, I wonder why he has these. So I looked under the dash and there was a fresh remote start system that had already been installed. And when they did that, they actually interrupted the ability for me to program keys because of their remote start system. So I had to unplug it, uh, plug the factory wiring back in, <clears throat> do my programming, and then reconnect the remote start. And when I did that, it potentially interfered with the way that remote start works. But because I saw the bag sitting there on the seat, I knew that something would probably be amiss. And so I looked around and I saw this and, you know, overted a, a problem that could have taken a long time. And I, I'm not saying that because, you know, I'm, I'm smarter. I'm the only guy who can look at things. I'm just saying it's really good to be aware of your surroundings uh, because as a locksmith, we, we typically do not get the whole story from the customer. And it's not always that they're being nefarious. Sometimes they just don't know what to tell us. 
you know, JB, it's, it's, it's funny you say that it, it, it's, it's one of those uh, old adages, right? If it was easy, everyone would do it. Yes. So you know, more and more, we talk about not the easy jobs, but the hard ones, right? And, and as, as you, you get calls and you're, you know, in the field, there's just a lot more to think about now more than ever as, as you're, you're doing the job. So really appreciate your insights as always. And anything else that, that we should be thinking about as we're, we're talking about Chrysler, Dodge, Jeep uh, vehicles? No, I don't think so. I think we covered the high points. You know, we've talked about the newer protocols. We've talked about some of the older vehicles where you can't read the pin code through the diagnostic connector. Uh, we talked about some supply chain shortages. No, I think, I think we covered the high points for sure. Perfect. Well, as always, the, the insights are super valuable. So thank you very much, JB. And, and until next time, have, have a great one. It's my pleasure. Thanks a lot. If you like what you heard on our podcast today, please subscribe wherever you listen to your podcasts. And you can get more information at akgacademy.com. We really appreciate your partnership and look forward to chatting with you again.